So we've been looking at a series, and uh, I'd outline the series. This is why I don't usually tell the church what I'm preaching before I preach. Because sometimes when I make an outline, God says, uh, let's pause and do this my way. Um, but I had a good way that worked. And so me and God had a really big argument on Friday in this sanctuary, like, God, I don't need this right now. Um, and so we've been looking at the book of Colossians. That's where we've been. Uh, it's a letter that Paul wrote. Um, it's not a church that he had visited, but it's a church that he knew the pastor of. It was a church that he was invested in. Um, and as he wrote this letter, uh, he was encouraging the church. And through encouraging the church, uh, my summary, what I really believe the synopsis of the book of Colossians is, can be found in chapter 3. We've heard these verses. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your, mi- your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And so the message that Paul speaks to the church in Colossae is a message that I believe he's speaking to us today, that we need to set our hearts and minds on greater things. Things above are definitely greater than things in this world. We have a hope. That's what we talked about. We have a greater hope as children of God that is found heavenward. It's stored up for us heavenward in Christ Jesus. And so there's some greater things that we're looking at that God has promised us, his children. To the church in Colossae, he said, I need you to recognize these things. Now, remember, the church in Colossae, when he introduced them, he said, I've heard about a couple things about you. And some of us get nervous when someone said, I've heard a couple things about you. But the couple things that he had heard about this church, the Colossian church, was that they were known for their faith in God and their love for men. All right, I feel pretty good about things right now. But the other thing he mentions is a church in this chapter. We read this verse before. It's the church of Laodicea. I'm not going to read the whole verse, but this is a sister church. It's a church that's right up the road. It's a church that's not far away. That, 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 was, that was lukewarm is literally how he describes them and says that he wants to spit them out of his mouth. And so today we're going to look at the reality of what's What's happening in here? What I, what I recognize through the church in, in, in Laodicea is this is a church that is potentially complacent. You know how sometimes when things are good, I talked about the church in Colossae, things were good. And sometimes when things are good, it's easy to become stagnant. Sometimes when things are going well, it's easy to become comfortable. You know, the reality is um, sensory fatigue. I've talked about it before. It's one of those great illustrations God's given us in our bodies where we're not accustomed to our smells or sights. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, so our family came in town, so suddenly the buttes are a big deal because they haven't seen them before, right? We see them all the time. We don't think much about them. But when someone comes who hasn't seen them, It's a big deal. You know, olfactory fatigue. Some of us stink. Some of us smell good. Some of us smell bad. But we don't know it because it's what we always are. My former superintendent said he used to walk into churches. And in the churches, and I'm sure there's stuff in our church too, but there'd be like a ladder in the corner that everybody just got accustomed to. There was no need for the ladder to be in the lobby, but because everyone was used to seeing it, they just became accustomed to that being a part. It, it's just this idea of complacency. What's the, what was the slogan for the state of Nebraska? So when you drive into town, you see a sign that looks just like this, right? Nebraska. 
the good life. Sounds like a great slogan. Sounds like an incredible place to be. I mean, I want to be in Nebraska. That's where the good life is. But the problem is, the good life isn't what God has for us. He has the great life. And many times we get to the good life and we can't find the great life because the good is just good enough for us. So then we change the slogan and say, hey, it's not for everybody. (laughs) Right? I'm not lying. That's Nebraska's new slogan. It was the good life. Now we're not for everybody. So how can the good life not be for everybody? I'm going to preach from the state of Nebraska. The good life isn't for everybody because it's not the great life that God intends. Huh? See, and sometimes we get to these positions of of complacency, these positions of comfort. Paul is is writing to this church, and he says in verse 9, For this reason... Since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. Now, if someone addresses you a letter and says, for this reason, we haven't stopped praying for you. I wonder what I did. How bad am I? I'll get back to that. For this reason, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So that you may live lives worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Bearing fruit in good work, growing in the knowledge of God. So what was the reason that Paul prayed that the church in Colossae would have the knowledge of the will of God, they would have wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that they could live a life worthy of the gospel? Now, if I say, I'm praying that you live a life worthy, some of us are wondering what unworthy we did, thing we did that pastor has to pray we would live a life worthy. But I think Paul... He's literally addressing this idea of good. This is the reason he's praying so fervently for the church in Colossae. Look at this reason. In the same way, the gospel's bearing fruit. You're known for your faith and love. The gospel's bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Things are good. Right? It's the good life. You've arrived. And Paul says, now I'm praying even more for you. For this reason, the reason that you've understood the grace of God, for the reason that you're experiencing kingdom fruit, I'm praying for you. Why? Because I think Paul recognizes the tendency for complacency. I think he recognizes that at times... Things are so good that we don't need. And when we don't need, we don't ask. And when we don't ask, we don't experience. And he's saying, this isn't it. This isn't all there is. This isn't everything that you have. The good life isn't here. It's not enough yet. And so I'm praying for you. Why? I'm praying that you would live a life worthy. You see, I believe that the greater thing that God wants to talk to us about today, I believe that the greater thing he wants to reveal to us in this place is that there is greater purpose in his kingdom. I believe there's greater purpose 
for your lives. I believe that there's something greater. If you're still breathing, then you're the one I'm preaching to today. So if you're not breathing, then you don't have to listen. But if you're breathing, I believe that God is speaking to us that there is a greater purpose. There is greater life for you. There's a life worthy for you to be living in the kingdom of God. And the sad thing is, the only time we tend to wrestle with this life worthy is when things are bad. And we're trying to evaluate what I did wrong to be living in the position that I'm living. Like, am I worthy? <laughs> I'm not worthy. I mean, we, 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 that's what we, but we don't explore it when things are Nebraska, when it's the good life. I got what I need. I'm content. And Paul says, are you living a life worthy? It's actually a phrase that Paul uses in four different epistles to the churches that he's writing to. This is a big deal for Paul in his pastoral ministry. He wants to make sure that churches, and he deals with churches in all kinds of places. Like there's churches that are doing well and there's churches that are doing really bad. There's ones that are fighting, like they had communion and they were like fighting over the communion meal in in Corinth. That's why we had what we read. Like some of you are saying, some people can't get this, or you get get this, and others don't get this, and we're not letting everybody eat the meal afterward, like we have meal after church, and you're kicking people out because they don't look the same as you. He's dealing with all kinds of churches, but in every position, he's continually speaking to the people, there's greater purpose, there's a life that is worthy for you to be living. And so I want to look at those four examples that he has in different letters because I believe those four examples reveal the meaning behind a worthy life. So if I ask, I'll ask because I'm the pastor and I get to do these things, who wants to live a worthy life? About five of us. That's good. Okay, we got to ten. We're getting there. I mean, I want to live a worthy life. I want when someone, when God looks at me on, on that judgment day, and he, I want him to say, well done, you lived a worthy life. Right? I don't want him to say, hey, you had a good life. I want him to say you lived a worthy life. Because, see, there's greater purpose for us as children of God. So in this particular uh, uh, example, I'm going to go back just a little bit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding so that the Spirit the Spirit gives so that you may live a worthy life or a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. What was the key to living a worthy life that He talked about here? And I'm not getting to the product, but I'm talking about the key. What's He pray that they would know? The knowledge of God's will. Living a worthy life begins with the knowledge of God's will for your life. And some say, oh gosh, Pastor, this is a frightening conversation because sometimes when we talk God's will, I get overwhelmed at what am I supposed to do or who am I supposed to be? Like when people start talking God's will, I get worried about, uh, is he going to call me to be a missionary? I get worried about, is he going to call me to do something crazy that I don't want to do? We've got to have the knowledge of God's will for our lives. The reality of the book of Ephesians. Paul says that we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Who are God's handiwork? Okay. What has God prepared you for? 
Huh? In advance, right? He knows where you're going to be tomorrow, and he's prepared you for where you're going to be tomorrow. And that tomorrow may not be you standing in front of a church preaching a gospel message, but it may be you standing in Walmart and showing someone love. God has created you for a purpose. Sometimes we diminish the purposes in our lives. Remember that story in in 2 Corinthians or 1 Corinthians where we're talking about the body of Christ and there's dispensable and indispensable parts and we cover up our indispensable parts? One of our problems with living a worthy life is we devalue who God's made us to be. Huh? How many times have you said, I'm not? I'm not Jim, I'm not Rowane, I'm not Walt. No, you're not. So be who God made you to be. Because he created you perfectly for the work that he has for your life, for the position where you're going to be in today and where you're going to be in tomorrow. That's living a life worthy. To live a life worthy, I've got to recognize that God does have a purpose for me. And that purpose is important. No matter what the world says. How about we say it no matter what the church says? I remember, Pastor Steve, I've shared this, pouting about where I was in ministry in Crawford, Nebraska. Because God had spoken some really cool things in my life. And how were the things ever going to happen in Crawford, Nebraska? And God says, it's worth it. I had people telling me it wasn't worth it. I had people telling me who, who I respected that there were probably better opportunities. But a worthy life. It's based on the will of God. And the only way my life is of value is if I'm fulfilling his will. That's what I'm doing. That's where I'm doing it. That's how I'm doing it. Psalm 139, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Greater purpose, greater living has to be found in the will of your life, in in God's will in your life. So I'm going to read this because it's in red. I put it in red in my notes so I wouldn't forget it. God has a plan for your today and your tomorrow in spite of your yesterday. And that's everyone. And yesterday doesn't mean it was bad. Huh? Yesterday could have been an awesome day. Yesterday could have been an incredible day. Yesterday could have been a day where everything went right. Yesterday could have been a day where I shared the truth of Jesus Christ and someone received him. Yesterday could have been a day where I was known for my faith and my love. But God has a plan for your today. And a plan for your tomorrow in spite of your yesterday. Like sometimes we think we've done it. I made it. The story of Abram. Remember that story in the Old Testament? 
God called him to go to the promised land, but he got to this land of Harad, and Scripture says that he settled there. Why? Because it was good. He made it. Family, life, problems, good. It was the good life. But God had a greater life. So, so greater purpose starts with, with knowing God's will for your life. We'll continue into 1 Thessalonians. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. That's a frightening phrase coming from Paul. Encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as human word, but as it it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in those or in you who believe. So living lives worthy, in, in Colossians, Paul said, I want you to know God's will. And in, in, in 1 Thessalonians, he says this thing, live life worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom. Now, we talked just a little bit in Sunday school about kings. We don't know much about kings in our culture. Right? But what I believe kingdom living that Paul is addressing is, is obedience to the king. Because in kingdoms of old, if you didn't obey the king, guess what you didn't do? Live in the kingdom. You couldn't be in the kingdom if you didn't listen to the king. You couldn't put a social media post up and complain about their policies. You were gone. If I want to live a life worthy, I've got to know God's will. But I've also got to obey. Well, Pastor, that's easy stuff, is it? Because sometimes we hear what God wants us to do, but we really wrestle with the doing. Sometimes we hear what God wants us to do, and, and then we say, well, God, I'll do it when I want to do it. Or I'll do it the way I want to do it. That's where I was Friday. Like, I had a pr- sermon. I'd already told the church I was preaching. I talked to Kathy on Thursday. And said, watch out, Kathy, here's what I'm preaching on. And then Friday, come on, God. You gave me this message a long time ago. Kingdom living, living a life worthy, is not just hearing what God wants you to do, but obeying what God has asked you to do. Look at what he says later on in this same letter. As for matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God. I think that would be living a life worthy. As in, the fact you are, as in fact you are now living. Now we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It's God's will. Did you hear that? It's God's will that you should be sanctified. That you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to to control your own body in a way that's holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this manner, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish you or punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. God's will is that I would be sanctified. 
So I said that God has a plan for your life. Now, what, what pastor uses an analogy a lot of times that, that if we can't be anything, we just need to be a pipe or a conduit. Who wants to take a drink from a dirty pipe? Look, if you come up and, and you see a pipe uh, outside, I was at the park the other day and I was going to fill up a jug with some water. And it was actually a bowl, fortunately, but just going to be for washing. And I turned that thing on and a bunch of bugs came out of the spigot in the park. Who wants to drink from that pipe? That pipe has been set apart for one purpose. What's the purpose of that pipe in the park? That I could get water. Sanctified, sanctification, if you want to make it as simple as you possibly can do, is getting yourself in a position that God's will can be accomplished best in your life. That means that we live pure lives. That we try to live holy lives. That means that sometimes sin's not okay. It's not okay because it's a big bad thing. It's, it's not okay because I want to do what God has called me to do. And this problem is standing in the way of me doing what God wants me to do. So I know His will. And I obey His will. And sometimes that involves me looking at me <laughs> and cleaning things up. We'll keep going. As a prisoner of the Lord... Then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. So we had a worthy life. This is for us. God has a plan for your life. God wants you to be in line with his plan, to be sanctified, set set apart for that plan. But then he wants you to be in harmony with the plan or with the body of Christ. That's what the book of, uh, of Ephesians is about here. It's talking about body ministry with one another. There should be unity. What does he say? We're the body and we grow up into the head, right? So each of us, I believe that is in Ephesians as well, and I could just read that if you don't believe me. From him, the whole body joined together, joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You see, what God made you to be should be complementary to what God made me to be. And as the parts of the body do their work together, we accomplish kingdom purposes. When I thought of this one, I said in harmony. I thought back to my days in high school. I referenced my junior year in high school. The girl I dated was my band director. I didn't, didn't even know that was coming. Boom, it works. It all is coming together. I was a drummer in the band. And what do drummers like to do? Be heard. We want to be heard. And I can't tell you how many times I was told as a percussionist that I was being too loud. I need to be heard. I practice just as much as everybody else. And I get my cowbell. Uh Uh-oh. Joe, I got a fever. (laughs) 
Can you imagine worship this morning when, when Walt is, is singing, oh, I'm running after the goodness of God, and pastor comes up with his cowbell because he wants to be heard because God has called me to play the cowbell, and I'm just ringing on my cowbell, dancing in front of church? Wow, pastor. There's unity in what God has called you to do. There's a position within his body in which there's, there's harmony that comes when each part does its work. There's, there's composers who decided that the cowbell was imperative for what they were doing in the right tempo and at the right time. We're joined to the head who tells us what to do. God's will. We obey his will. And we live in harmony with the body of Christ. In Philippians chapter 1, I said there's four, so you can you know this is the last one. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who opposed you. This is a sign that that they will be destroyed, but that you not. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. Conduct yourselves, live a life <laughs> worthy. Living a life worthy, we know God's will, we obey God's will, we live in harmony with the body of Christ, and guess what that looks like? We stand firm. We stand firm, striving together without being frightened. Fear is not a part of that worthy life. Fear of man, not the fear of God. Greg wants to teach on that later this year. We're not of those who are shrink back and, and are destroyed. We're those who are sta- we stand firm and we strive, we strive for the very will of God to be accomplished. We should stand firm. We should be standing on the word of God together for all of Crawford to know the love of Jesus Christ. We should be standing firm, striving together, working in unity, because God's will is that none would perish. And it doesn't matter what people say. And it doesn't matter how people respond. And we shouldn't be scared of what might come tomorrow. We shouldn't be afraid of what people might say or do or what is being said or how people will respond to the comments or the other things that are coming. We stand firm. Why? Because I know the love of God. I know his will for my life is that I've got to be, this is me, I've got to be a pastor in Crawford, Nebraska right now. So God's will for my life is that I will be a pastor. I'm going to stand firm. And I'm going to do my best to make sure that I can be the best pastor I can possibly be. It's going to be in unison with what God is accomplishing in us and through us. I recognize that I'm not the only one who can bring truth. I'm not the only voice that the church needs to hear. But I want it to be in unison that we can accomplish the purpose that God has set before us. Then we're living lives worthy 
You guys can come forward. There's greater purpose. There's something greater for you today. I probably should look at my notes and make sure I covered it all. And this morning I want to speak to you. I'm glad you're living a good life, but is it worthy? I'm not glad you're living a bad life, but I want to tell you that God's got a worthy life for you. There's greater purpose for your life. There's greater for you that God has in his kingdom. And if you've recognized yourself just coasting in, settling there, being, being right where God has, I want to say that God has something for you that's, that's greater. It doesn't matter what yesterday was. It doesn't matter how good or bad it was. God's got something greater for you today. His will is still being accomplished in your life. Who's the author and finisher of life? That wasn't a trick question. Thank you, Pam. God is the author and finisher of life. If he's the one who still has you alive, that means he's still got a plan for your life. Live a life worthy. Greater purpose. Father, we come to you this morning in this room. And we thank you, God, that we can focus on things above today. We thank you for what you've already accomplished in this room, what you've already spoken to us, what you've already done. But God, I pray that we would live lives worthy. So if there's someone in this room that says, God, I'm not sure. I don't know what. I ask that you would reveal your will. I know you've called us all to be vessels of your love. It's the way in which we show it. It's the way in which we do it sometimes that's different. God, I pray that we would know your will. I I pray that we would hold tight to the reality that your will starts with with the promise that you want none to perish. What can I do in the midst of that plan? God, why have you made me who I am right now? What are the greater things that you have for me? I pray that as God speaks or as he's already spoken, as he maybe has reminded today, Lord, I I pray that we would walk in obedience, that we would prepare ourselves to be the best that we can be, to be the best pipe, the best hand, the best eye, mouth. That we would confess sin. That we would turn from it. And we would watch you conduct this orchestra. We would watch you conduct this symphony, God, in which we're singing an incredible melody in harmony to the community that by our love they will know that by who we are they will come. Staying firm when it's good and when it's bad. Because you've got a worthy life. 
God, this morning I pray that we hear your word. I ask that we would respond to your word in Jesus' name. As they lead us in this song, I just encourage you to resonate, to think about what God is is speaking. You know, maybe you ask him, God, what are you saying to me right now? Like, what can I do? And if you hear something, you might want to write it down so you don't forget. So then you can look at yourself and say, well, God, you want me to do that? Well, how can I be in a position to do that? And how does that fit with what you're speaking to others? So we can see his will accomplished. Amen? The altars are open again. As if you want Pastor to pray with you, I know we've, we've prayed quite a bit earlier, but if there's still something, if you're wrestling with complacency, if you say, Pastor, I've hit that spot and I can't push through, if you say, man, it, it's been good, but I just want to move forward, I want to pray that, that he sets a fire, I want to pray that he does something in you, that you're, that you're back on the path to the promise. But I want to hear from him and respond to him because we have greater purpose, amen? You have greater purpose, amen? So I just want to read this. My job, what God's called me to do, we read a scripture in Ephesians. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, that's my role, and teachers to equip the saints, that's us, for the work of the ministry. We're building up the body of Christ. So as your pastor, I'm going to ask, if God's been speaking something in your heart, like if you heard him speak some will in your life, let me know. See, my job is to equip you. My job is to walk with you in that. My job isn't just to get up on Sunday mornings and sweat a lot. It's to help us. Become who God's called us to be. And the easiest way for me to do that is if you share with me what God is speaking to you. And maybe just me, I see why that, where that nut fits in the puzzle. Maybe I see where that comes together and I can help come alongside of you by praying for you, by encouraging you, by challenging you. You know, sometimes when we speak, it holds us accountable to what God's saying. As a pastor, I, I want that privilege, that, that opportunity. So if God spoke to you something about his will, let me know. You can tell me through an email. You can tell me over food that we're going to eat here in just a second. But God's got greater purpose. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you, grant you his peace. And may you live a life worthy. Amen. Be blessed.